If your toddler has been diagnosed with autism or is waiting for a diagnosis, you're going to want to pay attention for the next 60 seconds. Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Happy Ladders includes activities that target 150 essential developmental skills every toddler needs, as well as assessments in four different developmental areas. There's also an exclusive community of parents just like you and professional coaching to ensure success for both you and your toddler. To learn more, get a free trial, and take advantage of an exclusive limited-time offer for my listeners, visit happyladders.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-L-A-D-D-E-R-S. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus, get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited time offer, so act now. If your toddler has been diagnosed with autism or is waiting for a diagnosis, you're going to want to pay attention for the next 60 seconds. Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Happy Ladders includes activities that target 150 essential developmental skills every toddler needs, as well as assessments in four different developmental areas. There's also an exclusive community of parents just like you and professional coaching to ensure success for both you and your toddler. To learn more, get a free trial, and take advantage of an exclusive limited-time offer for my listeners, visit happyladders.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-L-A-D-D-E-R-S. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus, get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited-time offer, so act now. Hey, what's up, folks? My name is Rob Gorski, and you're listening to the Autism Dad Podcast. I want to thank you all for taking the time to tune in. I really do appreciate that. Uh, I know I come at you every Friday with new episodes, and um, I do really appreciate uh, my listenership. So so thank you very much for that. Um, I hope that whenever and wherever you happen to be listening to this, that uh, you are safe and healthy, and everyone in your world is is safe and healthy as well. There's a lot going on right now, and I just uh, I like checking in with you guys and, and making sure that everything is okay. So... There's that. Um, as far as today's episode goes, I get to check something off my podcasting bucket list uh, that's been on there for a little while now, and that is the topic of co-parenting through divorce. And in order to do that, I had to have a very special guest, and uh, that guest is Dr. David Hill. Dr. Hill is a hospitalist pediatrician at Goldsboro Pediatrics. He's an adjunct assistant professor of pediatrics at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine, a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics Council Management Committee, and associate editor of Pediatric Care Online Patient Education for the AAP. He writes and lectures nationally and internationally on pediatric topics including media use, fatherhood, and family separation. Uh, Dr. Hill is also an author, and the book that we're going to focus on today, he co-authored, and it's called Co-Parenting Through Separation and Divorce, Putting Your Children First. Uh, Basically, we're going to have a conversation about what to do and what not to do in regards to parenting uh, through divorce. There are so many things that we can do to make this harder on ourselves and our kids, and there are so many things that we can do to make this easier on ourselves and our kids. And, and we're going to talk about all that stuff. So this is a, this is a really important conversation. I encourage you guys all to uh, stick around, share it with anybody 
uh, who you think could benefit from this. And uh, I'll play that interview for you uh, in its entirety following this quick commercial break. So please stay tuned. I'll be right back. Uh, and we're back today. And as I, as I mentioned in the intro, um, Dr. David Hill is, is with us today. And, and, and we're going to be speaking about um, co-parenting through divorce and separation uh, and, and maybe even kind of touch on some of the complications that can arise when you're dealing with something like COVID-19 lockdown and some of the safety issues and, and things like that. So thank you very much for taking the time to come on the show. Really appreciate that. Uh, thank you so much, Rob. I'm really excited to be here. Could you uh, take a, a few minutes and just sort of kind of give us a little bit of your background and in, in what you do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So most importantly, I'm a practicing pediatrician. I have been in practice for 22 years now. Currently, I work at Goldsboro Pediatrics as a hospital physician in Wayne County, North Carolina, which is a fairly rural county, about an hour outside of Raleigh. And a couple of days a week, I sit in the hospital and wait for babies to be born and sick children to need admitting or even sicker children to need transport to a more sophisticated institution. And uh, that's, that's my work life right now. I also do a lot with the American Academy of Pediatrics, the AAP. I uh, edited uh, Caring for Your Baby and Young Child, uh, associate medical editor under Tanya Remmer-Altman, uh, who is our chief editor, uh, which is our number one selling child care book. I edit our pediatric advice under Pediatric Care Online for parents. I am the author of Dad to Dad, Parenting Like a Pro, and also co-author of Co-Parenting Through Separation and Divorce, Putting Your Children First. And, and both of those books are informed by my own experience. Uh, a long time ago, I was a stay-at-home dad. And then I was a working dad. And then I was a divorced dad. And then I was a remarried dad. And uh, we now have a blended family with uh, three of my kids and two of my wife's kids. And we work very closely with my co-parent, uh, my ex-wife. We see each other at least once a week and kind of stand around in the driveway and talk about what's going on. And uh, then if we need to have, you know, Zoom meetings in between, <laughs> if, if something comes up, we, we all get on and talk again. So I've uh, been very fortunate to have a really strong and productive relationship uh, with my co-parent and my ex-wife. And I think that's really benefited the kids. And I kind of wanted to, to get that into this book. That is, well, first of all, that's, that's such a cool thing that you're doing because, um, you know, I, I've, I hear from a lot of parents who, who are going through, um, whether it's divorce or just a separation or, or if they weren't married, they sort of just split up, I guess you break up or whatever. And, and there, there tends to sometimes be a lot of animosity and a lot of, um, you know, I, I think sort of inadvertently using the kids as weapons. And, you know, I've been wanting to have a conversation about this for a long time because I'm, I'm, I'm currently going through a divorce mm -hmm. and, uh, Mine's sort of a, a unique situation, but, um, you know, it, it's been something that, that, that we have worked very hard to, uh, always make sure that the kids are, are first, you know, there's no, like, there's no animosity or anything like that. And, and, and regardless of, of what took place, we still have to work together as a team to, uh, ensure the best interests of the kids. And, 
and I've, I've wanted to have a conversation about this, not just specifically autism, but just in general, because I think a lot of it, there's a lot of overlap. Uh, so I, again, I really appreciate you, um, taking the time to, uh, come on the show. So, um, but before we get into sort of the more details of the book, what, what are some of the parenting challenges that are associated with divorce and separation? Some of the kind of unique things that pop up when something like that happens. Well, first of all, parenting is is almost always challenging regardless, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, supposedly uh, I am trained to in, in, you know, child health and welfare and and psychology and development. And uh, my wife is actually practicing uh, child psychiatric care as a PA. And uh, my ex-wife is is an MD as well, not a pediatrician. But uh, you'd think with all that supposed expertise, <laughs> you know, the answer to every question should be obvious, right? I mean, we should know what we're doing. And yet the number of times that we have to call a time out and look at each other and, you know, have a sidebar and say, okay, wait, 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 what, what are we going to do with this? What are the, what are the pros? What are the cons? I mean, no matter how well prepared you are, your kids are going to throw you curveballs. Mm -hmm. They're going to present you with challenges that you're going to be like, oh man, what do I do about this? Uh, you know, I'll give you a classic example and a very common example for a lot of parents. And that's just like video games, right? Mm -hmm. So before I did this, I was the chair of the AAP Council on Communications and Media. We're the ones who write those guidelines about how kids are supposed to use technology uh, in the best way and avoid the worst ways. And so th this is a thing I should know a little bit about. And my son says, hey, dad, a 15 year old, I want Call of Duty. And you guys let Sellers play CSGO. That's his older brother. And, uh, you know, can I have that game? And first of all, he got to 15 without Call of Duty, which tells you where we are. Uh, but second of all, we're like, OK, we need a conference, right? Like, how is this game? What happened to his older brother, who we also eventually let play a first person shooter, was uh, he got really frustrated when the game quit in the middle of a uh, of one that counted for his rank. Mm -hmm. And he put his knee through the wall in his bedroom there where he was playing. And we're like, hey, Ugh. that's what we were looking out for. You can't put your knee through the wall. That's aggression. We don't want you to get more aggressive. So. You know, the same thing was, well, you know, your grades are good. You're a really active kid. My, my youngest is very athletic. I'm not worried about him sitting around and vegging all day. You know, you're very kind to people. You seem very thoughtful. So, you know what? Okay, this game, we're going to give you a shot at it. But if we notice your behavior changing, it's gone, right? We're pulling the plug on it. So that should be that should be a really easy decision to make as a parent. And yet, even then, it was like a really long conversation and a lot of thought and a lot of discussion among the parents and coming up with, okay, how are we going to do this? So it's always challenging, even when things are at their very best and you got a great kid who's making great decisions, it's still hard. And then when you throw in dealing with special needs, that is a stress you got to feel sometimes like you're just swimming against the current. Like this, this situation is not set up for my child. I mean, we're coming up tomorrow on July the 4th. There's going to be fireworks 
a lot of children on the autism spectrum disorder do not like loud, surprising things happening. Right. Yeah, flashes, crowds, right? And it feels sometimes like the entire world, like you're just having to negotiate every single thing that you're going through. And so that adds a level of complexity, a level of stress. And then separation and divorce are among the most stressful things anybody can face. It is incredibly difficult. I, you know, all, all three of the adults in this situation were children of divorce. And all of us in our first marriages uh, were like, that's never happening to us. We're never going to let that happen. Don't worry, guys. Don't worry. Mommy and daddy are going to be together forever. We'll do whatever it takes. And uh, despite that commitment, it did not work for any of us. And so now, you know, I'm in my second marriage. Obviously, my wife is and and my uh, ex-wife, my co-parent is single at this time. But it's just insanely stressful when you have a plan for life that involves merging everything with another person, having children with another person, and then in whatever way your plan gets derailed. And none of us are at our best in that circumstance. You mm-hmm. know, we're, we're in sort of a fight or flight place where we're angry, we're depressed, we're, we're anxious about what's going to happen next since plan A didn't work. And now we're trying to make really difficult decisions. And if you stress people, they're not inclined to make great decisions and that's that moment when you really have to pause you just have to slow down and uh, and sort of give the emotional time the the emotional part of your brain a moment to rest say hey we're going to give that a second and i'm going to engage the less emotional part of my brain and try and make a decision that's conscientious and makes sense and uh you know you might have to go for a for a fast run or scream into a pillow or complain to a friend or mm-hmm. whatever to get that emotional piece out of the way. And then you can come back and say, okay, now what's the right thing to do? What's going to help this child? What's going to help the child that we had together have the sort of life that we want for that person? And that means putting your own anger, depression, anxiety on a shelf for a minute and sort of taking the long view. Yeah, and that's I think sometimes easier said than done, right? Um you know, my with with my my situation, um this was this, my first marriage was her second marriage. And I've raised and and so when we got together, um she had a a 1-year-old at the time uh from her first marriage and so we were a blended family from the start. I've raised him since he was a year old. And, uh, he's 20 now. Um, and then we had two kids of our own, Elliot and Emmett. And, uh, there was a separation about, uh, in 2014, which sort of sent everything into turmoil. Cause like I didn't see it coming and the kids were totally surprised by it. And, and that sort of changed the whole dynamic of, of like my existence as a person, because, uh, you know, you're trying to navigate, your own emotional uh, well-being, your own feelings about what happened. Like I was grieving the loss of my wife because I, I didn't want to get divorced. I'd plan on being together for the rest of my life. I I, I was completely caught off guard, and and trying to navigate that with kids who live uh, very 
symbiotically, symbiotically, in a very symbiotic way with, with with their parents because they sort of, even if they don't conceptually understand what's going on, they feel the emotions that you have, and and then they can, uh, that that can impact them in a very negative way. And um, you know, we reconciled a few years later, and, and then uh, separated again. It'll be a year next month, and. And my kids live with me full time and, you know, we've been dealing with the COVID-19 lockdown and, and raising three kids with autism on my own is very challenging and trying to, uh, you know, foster that relationship with, with their mom to make sure that, uh, you know, she has is, is rewarding of a relationship with her kids as possible. And they have the same thing with her and, and you have COVID-19 lockdown and, um, there's at risk people in her house. There's at risk people here trying to navigate all of that and, and keep the kids moving forward and, and keep the kids focused on, you know, this isn't the end of the world. It feels like it for them because their whole world has been turned upside down. But, uh, but yes, that's, it's a very challenging situation. And I guess one of my questions would be, what, what are some of the things that parents should look out for, um, in regards to like how their kids are coping with things, uh, as a result of some of these changes in their life. Right. Right. So uh, I think one thing that's so hard to resist is you want everything to be better now. Hmm. I, I remember when I was going through the separation and the divorce telling my therapist or asking my therapist, I'm like, okay, here's the thing. I know that one day I'm going to be better. I know because that's how people work. You give, you know, anything within about two years, most of us get back to our baseline mental status. If that was not a good place, you, you might end up back there. If it was a good place, you're going to end up back there. Uh, I just want it to be now. Can, can we do that? And he's like, <laughs> no, no, you can't. You're not going to get there yet. It's going to take a minute. And you're just going to have to live through life until you are better. And for our kids, that's very much true. I think we as parents love to give that hug, kiss that boo-boo, put the Band-Aid on and be like, look, all better. Here's your teddy bear. Here's your bowl of ice cream. See, it's all good now. And this kind of thing doesn't get better quickly. It's, you used the word grieving earlier, and I think it's really important because that's exactly what this process is. It's a grieving process. And people who study grief, people who understand grief will tell you, you know, as an outsider, you're like, hey, are you better yet? Like, no, I've just eventually incorporated this grief into who I am and uh, I can live with it. And I am a different person than I was before, but I'm not, not grieving the loss. And this is something that our kids need room to do. And I think it's easy as parents to, to be waiting for them to be better. You know, oh no, it's been a week. It's been a month. It's been a year. You should be better now. And grief is a gradual and long-term process and giving our kids room to be upset and helping them name it, helping them come up with ways to cope with being upset helping ourselves deal with our own guilt of feeling like this is my fault. I mean, this is really something for us as parents through separation or divorce 
uh, I, I certainly felt like I have failed miserably. Mm-hmm. I had one job, be a good parent, keep my kids happy, give them a great life. Okay, that's three jobs, but you know, one big job. And uh, I have I have now been part of one of the worst things that can happen to them. I feel horrible. And part of that is getting help with our own feelings. You know, it's great to have a therapist like I did if you can, but not everybody can. Uh, but there are a lot of different places to do that. There are support groups. There are faith-based organizations. There are, you know, networks of people going through this. There are online opportunities, books. There are a lot of ways to deal with our own feelings and to help our kids. Uh, this is this is such a cliche, but cliche alert. I'm going to throw it out there anyway. <laughs> you got to put your own oxygen mask on before mm-hmm. you apply the one to your child, right? So, yep. so that's number one is dealing with our own grief and our own feelings and getting some help with that. And then turning to our kids and allowing them the space to be understandably upset. They, you know, may run to their room, slam the door and say, I hate you. You ruined my life. And, you know, I personally want to bang the door down and say, no, 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 no. It might just be the right time to let them be in there for a while and say, yeah, I see why you feel that way. I get that. I wish this could have been some other way, but yeah, you're upset right now and I can't blame you. I would be upset too. You know, it's so hard because as a dad, you want to fix everything, right? You want it to yeah. be like my, we made arrangements for my kids to uh, see their mom. I think it's going to be next Friday. They go on 14 day quarantine uh, mm-hmm. because they still leave the house and kind of do right. their own thing. So they do 14 days, but you know, you want to, you want to fix everything. Like I hate seeing my kids in pain. I hate seeing them, um, missing their mom. I hate, I hate that they can't see her more often right now. Like I, um, and I can't, I can't fix any of that. I can't make any of that better. All I can do is, is the best that I can do to be the sort of best version of me that I can be to, to try and fill whatever voids I can. And one of my struggles has, has been, I think, letting them grieve. Like I, I want to fix it. I want to make them feel better. And I, and I don't always, let them go through that process that they need to go through in order to come out the other end. Is that sort of a a common? Oh, universal, I would say. It is so, so hard. I think, you know, in my vision of masculinity, whatever that is, I see myself as a fixer right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to run in. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to lift the hood up. You know, I'm going to pull out the toolbox. I'll, I'll get a shovel. I don't know. I'll, I'll fix this thing. Just bring it to me. You know, that's my, that's where I get a sense of self-worth, a sense of identity. And this is a thing that we can help our kids through in some ways, but we can't fix it. We can't just, you know, put the duct tape on it and go like, Hey, this is better. And I think it's it's hard for me personally to stand back and just acknowledge that and say, yeah, you know what? Right now, this really stinks. I, I want to help you focus on some things that don't stink, you know, but I need to let you be here in this space right now where where you feel sad or you feel angry or you feel anxious. And once you've had a little time with that, let's talk about some other things that we can do. I'll tell you what I do when I feel sad 
or anxious or angry. And maybe we can try some of those things together. You know, if I'm sad, I like to, I like to go for a walk. We have baby geese in our neighborhood right now. And uh, no matter what I'm thinking about, when I, when I happen upon those baby geese and I see those little yellow fluffy guys, mm -hmm. I'm like, ah, that's great. So when you're ready, maybe we'll go on a walk together. You may not want to do that right now, but, but maybe later. And when I'm angry, you know, I go exercise. I like to run. You want to do some jumping jacks. You want to go to the park. You know, you want to ride bikes. That, that helps me. Maybe it'll help you. So I think what we're trying to do is to model constructive ways to deal with our feelings. I, I write, you know, journaling for kids mm -hmm. who, who can write. Uh, some of them are too young or some struggle with writing, but if they want to want to draw or, uh, you know, say, Hey, let's find a, a way to create, let's make a thing. Maybe it's gardening, you know, maybe it's, it's sewing or crafts, but when you turn that energy toward creating a thing, that's another way to feel better. Uh, I am a big fan of mindfulness and kids can totally exercise mindfulness. They may be better at it than we are really because they're great at noticing things, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think back to childhood when I was really close to the ground and I paid a lot of attention to grass and flowers and bees and dirt and rocks and things that were down there. And you know, that's a mindfulness exercise in its own way. Let's just sit in the yard for a second and see how many bees there are and how many clovers there are and what do we smell and what do we hear and what birds or airplanes are, are over our heads. So I think the way we can't fix, but we can, uh, we can model what positive coping skills look like and we can help we have to let our kids throw their fit first they have to have their crying tag they have to scream they might have to kick something they shouldn't throw fragile things that will break uh but they have to let it out and then you wait for that storm to pass and then you got a moment to go hey what can we do today that'll make us feel a little bit better i'm not going to fix it but maybe we'll feel a little better than we do right now you know how do you how do you deal with that I always called it, um, like when you're a special needs parent, there's all kinds of irrational guilt. Like you feel guilty for everything, even though you have zero control over most of what happens. How do you deal with, with that sort of irrational guilt part of this? You know, cause you, you don't want to, I have struggled with, with sometimes trying to overcompensate because I feel like my kids have lost so much. I don't want to take anything else away from them. I, I, oh, yeah. and so you become maybe more lenient or you become, um, you allow that feeling to sort of influence your parenting decisions and, and how, how do you avoid, how do you avoid doing that? Boy, I think that is one of the most difficult struggles when you feel, when you feel that guilt, like somehow this must be my fault. I'm going to make it up to you. And, and our inclination as parents is to turn into grandparents and give the child anything they want, right? Like, here's your bottomless bowl of ice cream. Sorry, your mom and I are not together anymore. Uh, why don't you watch TV until midnight? What the heck? Yeah, horror movies? Let's go. Uh, it, you know, I think the thing for us to remember is that when we become uh, indulgent parents, we are not doing our children favors. Yeah. You know, a kid who has a lousy diet, who's not sleeping enough, who doesn't know what the rules of the house are anymore, is not a child who's going to be able to develop the sort of behavioral skills 
that are going to help them succeed. I think one thing, you know, you, you mentioned having the three kids with autism. For a lot of kids on the spectrum, predictability in life is really key. Mm-hmm. You know, when something changes, it really throws them for a loop. And so having that bedtime, having that, you know, this is your hour of TV. And when the hour's up, it's up. We eat dinner at six or six thirty or seven thirty or whenever. And tomorrow we're going to have dinner at the same time. And yeah, we're going to cook two vegetables and a protein. And that's what we do. Uh, I think it's important as parents, especially when everything's turned upside down, especially when things are not predictable, to remind our kids that we are stable. We are going to make sure that their needs are met and we're going to put up some some limits and remind them that, yes, a lot has changed, but it's a very, very disconcerting feeling as a child to feel like there are no limits because we rely as children on our parents to keep us safe. We know that our parents' job is to keep us from doing stupid stuff. You know, hey, can I play with matches right now? No, I don't think that's the best idea. (laughs) Not around the gasoline anyway. Come over here. Let me show you. You know, (laughs) it's just so I think we have to remember when we're feeling that guilt that the best way to compensate for what's going on is to be predictable, responsible adults Mm -hmm. in our children's lives, not their playmates, not their best friends, not the ice cream truck. Uh, but people who will continue to provide reliable, predictable incentives, limits, instruction, uh, so that they know, okay, life has changed some, but I'm not just floundering out here completely on my own. Kids on the spectrum, like you said, they, they thrive on routine and structure, even if they resist the idea of having it, uh, behaviorally, you could see a difference when they have that. And, and one of the struggles that we had faced was, uh, when my wife left in August of last year, uh, it affected my youngest is, was probably profoundly the most impacted day to day. Um, ended up not, we had a heck of a time just getting him to go to school and being able to focus. And, and there was all of these, um, sort of unique challenges that, that popped up and, and trying to develop some kind of new routine that didn't remind them because they didn't want the same routine because mom wasn't here. And so it's not the same. So it has to be different, but you don't want it to be too different, you know, and, and in bedtimes and, and TV shows and homework. And, yeah. and you need to, you need to have, I was related to them. Like, you know, when we go bowling, when they were little, they had the bumpers and the lanes and it's sort of like, I want to, I want to give you guys your space, but I need to have these, you know, guardrails up just, just to keep you from going too far to the left or the right. I and, love that image. I love that. And, and, and it just helped them to, to, to sort of, uh, find their footing, I guess. And, and then, you know, the COVID-19 lockdown hit and, and, and it's been 120 days, I think today. One of the, one of the issues that I face as a, as a special needs parent is, uh, you know, my kids view everything is in a very black and white way. So it's either good or bad on or off, um, love or hate dead or alive kind of thing. And in kids in general are very gifted at finding ways to hold themselves accountable f- for what happens in their home. How, how can we help our kids to not blame themselves yes. for, for what has happened? 
I am I am so glad that you said that because that is an ongoing theme when you're dealing with separation and divorce. And uh, kids have a degree of, you know, what we call in development, magical thinking. Uh, you know, I if I do something right, then it will impact some, something that has nothing to do with the thing that I just did, right? Mm -hmm. um, kids all blame themselves for parental separation or divorce. It is a universal. As soon as they're old enough to, to start talking or thinking in this way, uh, they will blame themselves. And it just has to be a broken record for us as parents mm -hmm. to remind them, you didn't do this. This is not your fault. This was us. It was not you. You could not have stopped this from happening. And it's not up to you to undo it either. Uh, you know, there's this movie, it's been made a couple of times, The Parent Trap, where, yeah. you know, children are divorced as twins. So like, oh, we're going to get the parents back together. And it's a popular movie because it's a universal fantasy of kids whose parents are divorced. I can, uh, I, I remember, you know, one of our kids, a couple of them really, after the separation for a year or two would like hold each of our hands at the same time like it was binding and, you guys because i knew we weren't gonna we weren't gonna turn down a handhold <laughs> from from one of our children but then they'd try and put our hands together yeah like no we're not that's i mean it's a very literal expression of that wish and a i must have done this and b maybe i can fix it and it is incumbent upon us to remind our kids repeatedly hey you know what you didn't do this. This is not about you. This is not your fault. You can't fix it. This is a thing between your parents and it is not you. And I think, you know, with younger children, that may be easy to remember because we know that they have magical thinking, but as they get older, it's very easy to forget. And when mm -hmm. you're looking at a teenager, you know, to remember that your teenager also has magical thinking about this. Your teenager also feels guilt unnecessarily i must have done this somehow and you can't repeat enough times hey i just wanted to remind you this wasn't you you didn't do it you can't undo it this is us and also we both love you and that's the other mm -hmm. the other side you can't say that enough either one thing that we talk about in the book a lot is not to talk down the other parent now mm -hmm. that's really hard i you know there, there are a lot of things that are easy to say and hard to do that's really hard in a lot of these situations because in most cases there's a lot of anger mm -hmm. there's a lot of frustration there's depression and uh, our children are close to us we want our children to think that we're the best i mean as a dad i want my i want my kids to idolize me i want to be their hero i want to be superman uh, and if somebody else has rejected me, I, I want them to know that that person's crazy. Right? <laughs> Look, I'm the greatest. And that crazy person doesn't think I'm the greatest because otherwise we'd still be together. Therefore, you need to know that that person is flawed and I'm not. Don't succumb to that. Don't give in to that impulse. Because the other thing that kids know is that they're part of each parent. Mm hmm. And when you start talking down the other parent, 
you are in part talking down your child and we know we don't want to talk down our child. So, you know, an example, oh my gosh, you're late. We're in the car. We're waiting to go. You couldn't find your shoes. You are so disorganized, just like your mom that used to make me crazy. Just don't, just don't ever do that. I don't care. Maybe she was disorganized. Maybe she was always late. Maybe she wasn't. It doesn't matter. That doesn't ever need to come out of your mouth. You keep it on the subject. Hey, you know, next time, maybe we should put your shoes by the door the night before so that we're ready because it seems like we're having a hard time getting out of the house. Now, the flip side, if you can find kind things to say about the other parent, even if you have to work at it, it may take some work, mm -hmm. find them, express them, let your child know, you know, you know, the way you smile just then. That reminds me of your mom's smile. I always thought she had the greatest smile, and I see that, right? I love the way you draw, you know? Your dad's a great artist. You remind me of him. I see that. He likes to draw horses, too, you know? Mm -hmm. Boy, you're a fast runner. I used to, you, we used to go running together. That was fun. I love, maybe you can run with me in the future, right? So if you can find anything positive to say, I don't care if you're scraping the bottom of your own personal barrel, <laughs> find it and express it because honestly it reflects on you too i mean yeah. really if you married or made a child with a horrible person how good is your judgment really <laughs> i mean it just makes you look better to remind your child that you were not so your judgment was not so bad that you had a child with a truly completely horrible irredeemable person. other human being yeah. why did you go out with them if they were that bad right so yep. You want to focus for your child's sake on the positives, the negatives, keep to yourself, journal them, share them with friends, talk about them in therapy, go out with your buddies over beer and, you know, or not. Uh, drinking is a whole other piece of this that we want to be careful about. But, uh, you know, wine to wine to other adults whose job or inclination it is to listen to you kvetch about what you hated, but not to your kids. That's not their job. They don't need that. So focus on the positives, whatever they are, there's always something there. My two youngest are very, very advanced. They know there's more going on than what we tell them. Emotionally, they are not equipped to handle what's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you gotta be, it's, it's difficult at times not to want to overshare uh, because yes. they, 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 they pound me with questions all the time. And, you know, and any time that we run into a, well, maybe it's it's better that they know this much. You know, we go into a therapeutic setting with their with their therapist, and mm -hmm. it's usually me and their mom, and we we sit down together and we will just say, okay, this is part of what was going on, so that you understand that this this had nothing to do with you guys. You know, because they 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 get stuck on this whole it's it's their fault. Um, and so it is, it's, it's very difficult to not overshare, yeah. you know, and yet uh, important, really yeah. important because it's our, they're, they're around us so much mm -hmm. and we like them and we want them to think highly of us. And it's hard, especially in cases where somebody did a thing that may not have been a good thing, right? That if you look at how separation and divorce happens, uh, we're not all that creative as, as humans, <laughs> right? I mean, people find other partners maybe before it was appropriate. Yeah. People do things financially that may not mm -hmm. have been a great idea. 
people use substances, including alcohol and other drugs. The kids never need to know why unless they already know for some reason. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we came home and there was somebody there who wasn't supposed to be there in a state they weren't. Okay, you're going to have to explain that. But if you found some text messages or, or emails or something and discovered something that wasn't good, the kids just never need to know that. It's not relevant to what they need to know. Mm -hmm. They need to have high regard and affection for both parents. It's not going to be important in 20 years. It's just not. And that's that's hard when you're emotional and you're angry at somebody mm -hmm. and the people that you want to look up to you, 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 you want them to know that you weren't the wrong one. I didn't, you, you're the other person. Did, I didn't do it. I was doing everything I was supposed to do. They did it. You get angry at them. You seem angry at me right now. Don't be mad at me. I didn't do this right. Nothing could be more natural or more harmful to children than to give in to that temptation. Just like, you know what? Things did not go well for mom and dad. We did not, or dad and dad, or mom and mom, to mm -hmm. be inclusive. Uh, you know, this wasn't how we planned things. People change. Things happen. We don't always do what we thought we were going to do when we're trying to do right. Mm -hmm. Many kids can usually think of a time where the, where they wanted to do right and just didn't. Mm -hmm. You know, every, it's part of being human. Uh, and when you back way up and take the 40,000-foot view, when a relationship doesn't work, there's always many reasons that a relationship doesn't work. The thing that happened is always the last thing that happened. But a bunch of things happened before that thing. And so whatever the nature of the final precipitating event was, and no matter how angry you are about it, uh, the kids don't need it. They don't need it. That's for you and, and your partner and your therapist to work out. But mm -hmm. You know, unless the kids were directly involved, they don't need to be part of that. That was really interesting. I like the way that you, you explained that, where the the thing that happened was just the last thing that happened. And there's a whole string of events that both people take part in. And it isn't always just a one-sided, uh, someone is to blame kind of thing. And, you know, one of the things I think is important is, you know, divorce, I think, sort of forces kids to deal with grown-up issues, period. How how do we help to limit the grown-up issues? Do you know what I mean? Like not, not yeah. putting more grown-up issues uh, on them. Right. I think, you know, a, a good way to think about this is the way that we talk about the birds and the bees talk. Mm -hmm. uh, you provide the information that's appropriate at the age. So, you know, when your three-year-old asks you, hey, where do babies come from? Uh, it's like, you know, when a man and a woman love each other very much, sometimes they get close to each other and the mommy gets pregnant and the baby grows inside mommy's tummy and, and then the baby comes out and now you have a little brother, right? That's three, four, five. And then a few years later, they come back and they're like, well, wait, 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 <laughs> how does the baby get into mommy's tummy? And then you're like, well, okay, you give a little more, but you're not like, you know, well, let's pull the Kama Sutra off the shelf here. And, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, you're giving kids information that is appropriate to where they are developmentally. Right. And that's our job continuously. So for a very young child, we're just like, look, mommy and daddy, we're not able to live together anymore. We both love you very much. You didn't do this, but now we're going to live apart and you're going to have two houses. 
uh and then a little bit later you can be you know well you know our relation you can you can bring it up without ever bringing the thing thank mm -hmm. you or talking down the other parent right you you don't want this to be ah the other parents nuts and I couldn't stand them and I never could stand them in the first place. And I don't even know why I got with them. And, you know, they're a horrible person. And so obviously we're not together or uh, in one of the stories that uh, my co-author, John, uh, Dr. Jan Blackstone tells, uh, where it's like, well, dad doesn't love us anymore. Mm. He left because he doesn't care about us. No, you can't. You can't put that on dad. He, might, he definitely doesn't care about you, uh, apparently, but don't project to the kids is as tempting as it is to take sides and have them reject that other person the way you feel like rejecting them right now you can't put that on them and i think that's really the best way that we protect them from carrying our burden as parents we make a choice we're going to carry our burden i'm going to carry you and i'm going to carry me that's why i got that front-facing child carrier because i can walk and i'm going to i'm going to hold you up too and so the biggest part of that is just you know taking care of our own burden and being like yeah i i got this i'll tell you what you need to know to function but you're not my therapist oh i like that yeah i'm, I'm gonna i got i got a person <laughs> i'm gonna use you're not my therapist yeah you know you know I, I talked to my therapist about that and uh that's not something that i need to talk to you about yeah you know yeah, you don't you don't need to worry about this i got dad's got this I'm fine. I'm taking care of myself. Let's talk about you and what you need right now. That's I, I think that's a, a common middle child thing. My middle is also the problem solver, the peacemaker. You know, he takes it on himself to try and get everybody on the same page now. You know, it's it. And that's a big burden as well. And I think it's important when we see that to say, you know, I really I love that you're the kind of person who wants the people around you to get along and be happy. But you can you can be the child. It's it's my job to you know, help everybody work it out. And you don't, you don't have to do that. You don't have to be the one who works things out. Yeah. That's actually interesting that you said that too. Cause I, I guess I didn't realize it was a middle child thing, but one of the things that we had to work on with him was he felt he had to pick up the slack. Mm -hmm. And oldest kids will do that a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, the oldest girl will often take on whatever housework the mom was doing. It's, it's a little tough in our household because we really do try and divide things fairly evenly. Uh, so, you know, my wife mows the lawn, I make dinner, it's that kind of house. Uh, but, you know, avoid to, especially the oldest child, okay, I guess now you're the woman of the house. You're the man of the house, you know? That, that's more than they need. They don't need to be the man or the woman of the house. Let them be a kid, you know? One of the other challenges is is sort of transitioning between households to sort of break it down in its simplest form. It's like, you know, bedtime at, at mom's house is 10 o'clock. Bedtime at, at your normal home or, or where you live most of the time is 8 o'clock. Yeah. And, and there's sort of that discrepancy between households. How important is it to to sort of establish sort of a universal set of rules or guidelines or bedtimes or things like that? It's so nice if you can get it. That varies tremendously from situation to situation. I mean, there may be situations where it's just not physically feasible in one environment to do things similarly. Sometimes it's not financially feasible. It's not unusual in a separation divorce that one party ends up in a better place than another one financially. So, you know, we, we have that here at our house, the boys have to share a room and at their mom's house, they each have their own room. 
And uh, that was a real bone of contention for a while. You know, dad, why do I have to listen to him snore every time we're over at your place? I'm like, dude, this is, this is how many rooms we have. Okay. I, do you want to sleep in the living room? I, I get up to make my coffee at 4.15 in the morning. So I'm not sure that's a good idea. But, you know, if you wanted, this is what we got. So sometimes it's not possible to get things the same. But this is where parent communication ideally is really important. Now, you're never going to get everything exactly the mm -hmm. same, right? The house is going to be different. And, you know, if you're doing everything the same in the first place, you probably didn't get separated or divorced. So you probably felt differently about different things. But where you can get on the same page about how bedtime works, how chores work, how, uh, you know, meals work, it's nice to at least have that discussion and say, you know, hey, I noticed that when the kids come back from your place and they've been going to bed at 10, it's impossible to get them to sleep at eight because that's, you know, you're clocking in about two hours. It's going to take a few days before that works. Or they seem really sleepy when they come back over. What can you think of a way, you know, do you see this as a thing that maybe we could somehow address? What if they went to bed at 930 instead of 10? And maybe at my place, they could go to bed at 830. And it'd be a little closer together, right? It may take a little bit of compromise. Uh, and no, I can't do that or I don't want to do that may frequently be the answer. But in a situation where you can communicate, it's nice to ask about, you know, the extent to which you can get things similar. Uh, and the, the more you can do that, the easier the transitions are. Uh, at our place, our kids have a lot of chores. And at their mom's, uh, they have a lot fewer chores. And so there's always a little bit of a transition moment of, uh, hey, left your stuff out on the counter. Uh, would you please rinse it and put it in the dishwasher and throw those wrappers away and pick up your socks and shoes on the way up the stairs? And, you know, there's an eye roll for a couple of days there, right? And, uh, you know, so sometimes we get together and talk and my co-parent their mom is like wait you get them to do the dishes and pick up it i'm gonna try that that would be i didn't know that they would cook dinner yeah let's do that you know or uh yeah they're doing their own laundry or then we find out and this is another thing where it really helps for parents to compare and talk to each other the kids know <laughs> that they can play you off against each other right and yep. and the the first thing you're going to hear is well mom never hit, makes me do that and then you're going to go mutter under your breath. Oh, she ought to. I don't know why she does. And then you call mom and she's like, the heck I don't. Mm -hmm. I always, they have to make their beds at my place. They can't leave their beds unmade for a week. Of course, of course they wash their sheets. Right. And then you're like, well, your, your mom said you do make your bed. And they're like, well, yeah, I guess. Yeah, we do make our beds. Right. So when you hear something from the kids, it's like, well, I never have to do that over there. We get to have candy for dinner at mom's. Your first response should not be, well, that, yeah, why, right? Mm -hmm. Your first response should be, huh, go, to, go to the source. <laughs> you know, maybe at the next drop off, let me ask mom about that and see what she says. And then, you know, maybe, yeah, well, one night last week we had candy for dinner because we thought it would be a crazy thing to do, but we don't have candy for dinner every night, right? You right. know, uh, often when you actually communicate with the other parent, you get a story that makes a lot more sense than the story you got just from the kids. And that, brings me to another point which is don't make the kids your messengers you know I, I i recorded a podcast i don't know last year sometime shortly after we separated and i and i 
I'm trying to use my situation as a positive example for people, right? And, and learn from my mistakes. You know, these are all things that are not easy to do, but you have to do it because it's best for your kids. And, and one of the things that I would, I would talk about was like, don't use them as the go-between Yes, because you're you're putting them in a, in a, in a lose, lose position. And that's unfair to put that on them. Yeah. I mean, if you have to pin a handwritten note to their lapel or whatever it takes, if you have to go through a third party, Mm -hmm. you have to use social media, whatever, find a way to communicate directly with the other parent. Even if it takes you a minute to calm down before you do it, even if you have to compose one email, delete it, and then compose one that's a little less emotional, do that. But when you put the kids in between, first of all, you just started a game of post office, you know, the, the game we all played when we were telephone kids, game you, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the phone game, you pass a, a sentence around the class and it's hilarious. The sentence that gets back to you by the time it gets to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a problem when it's, you know, you remind mom that you've outgrown your cleats and soccer starts next week and you need new cleats for soccer camp. Right. And if that message doesn't get through, and you're picking the kid up like, okay, you're ready to go to soccer camp, but we never not got new cleats. Who are you mad at now? Who's got the responsibility? You just told like an eight-year-old to make sure they get new cleats and they forgot or they mentioned it once while the other parent was distracted. And now you're mad at both of them. And now you're going to be late to soccer camp because you got to stop by the sporting good, right? Just don't put yourself in that position. Have some kind of civilized conversation that says, I just want to remind you, soccer camp starts next week. Uh, one of us probably needs to get some size eight cleats. Uh, Jimmy wants the $270 pair that he saw on Neymar. And I think we ought to get the, the $40 pair that he's going to outgrow in a month. Uh, <laughs> what do you think? And who's going to go get them? I've got a, I got a coupon, right? I got 15% off the sporting goods store. You want me to get them? You're going to get them? just have the conversation Be with the other parent and save yourself a huge amount of hassle. And the child, for God's sake. Yeah. You know, I, I hate everything about going through a divorce. I, I wish that it hadn't happened. It wasn't something that I wanted. But I, if I put all that aside, I am so grateful that I can pick up the phone and call her at any time and have pretty much any kind of conversation that we need to uh, about the kids. And she knows she can call and do the same thing. And that, that makes it, um, it's more civil it's, Mm -hmm. it's still, you're still parenting together. You know I mean? You're still a team. You brought these kids into uh, the world together. You, you need to see it through and, and, and you stow your crap and you, you be adults and, and you do uh, what you would be doing. We try to keep it as close to parenting the same way we would have if we were all still living together. Just, there's just a, a, a distance. If you can get to that place, it really is ideal where you can just pick up the phone or whatever your preferred method of communication is and say, uh, you know, hey, (laughs) you know, I need a thing. I saw a thing. I heard a thing. We need to plan a thing. Uh, Let's talk about that. Doesn't mean you're always going to find agreement, uh, but at least you're having a conversation. You're keeping the kids out of it and you're doing what adults do, which is figure stuff out, you know, you just got to sort things out. Um, I I guess one of the the last questions that I have is how important is therapy for kids in this type of situation? You know, uh, 
I, I am a huge proponent of getting somebody else in the room who a has a lot of experience working through similar problems and B is not emotionally invested in the problem. These, these are the two things that you get from a good therapist. A, they've seen this a million times before. And as I said earlier, we're not that creative in the problems that we have. They are all very similar. We put our little unique spin on it, but the way that we have difficulty tends to be fairly universal. Mm -hmm. And therapists are trained in, in what you do about that kind of difficulty. And the other thing they can do is take a breath and help you take a breath and help you. We get, it's so easy to get locked into a particular vision or a particular approach, or you see things the way you see them. And it is so great to have somebody on another side of the room who sees a thing that you just didn't see, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're just looking at it from a different direction and are able to say, well, did you ever think about this? Did you ever consider it in this way? And, you know, I have had revelations that should have been incredibly obvious to me, mm -hmm. except I was too close to the thing to be able to see it from that other direction. And then I was like, oh, wow, why did I not take that approach? And so I think where it's possible, getting therapy for the kids, uh, for the parents is fantastic. One of the interesting things that my co-author, Dr. Blackstone, notes is that even parents who go into court-ordered parenting lessons, like, I didn't want to do this, I don't want to be here, kind of like, you know, when, when you got that ticket and you had to retake driver's ed, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's the parent ed, even when they don't want to be there, they tend to come out being better parents afterwards. You're sitting in there and you're hearing things and you're like, oh, you know, maybe there's a different way to do discipline. Maybe just smacking my kid every time I don't like what they did may not be working. Maybe there's a more positive way to do this. You start, you start getting thoughts. And, you know, we talked earlier about handling our own stuff. So where it's possible logistically and economically to get help, mm -hmm. I'm a huge proponent of it. Uh, understanding not everybody's in the same situation. Sometimes you have to be kind of creative about how you do it. But if you look around, uh, hopefully you can find something, some place in your community that your kids can go for some sort of support. Our kids, the schools, they're in public school. They had a lunch bunch, which was, you know, children going through separation and divorce and they could sit around and, you know, have their peanut butter sandwich. Well, not peanut butter because it's not allowed anymore because uh, of <laughs> food allergies, but have their ham sandwich or whatever. And, uh, you know, say, oh, you, you think your mom's crazy. Let me tell you what, what my dad did this week, you know? Yeah. And any, any resource you can find is better than no resource. I like that. I like the idea of, of the kids being able to relate to other kids who are going through uh, similar situations. And I, like, I've never, I've never hid the fact from my kids that I go to therapy because I think I, yeah. I, I want them to know that it's okay to be upset. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to need help. Yeah. Uh, it's not something to be ashamed of. Uh, yeah, I deal with depression and I very open about that. You know, yeah. I, I think that, uh, destigmatizing things like that is very, very important. Um, but I, I guess what, what sort of inspired, you said it was a lot of your personal experience that yeah. sort of inspired the book. Um, 
why did you decide to to actually write it? You know, the Academy, the American Academy of Pediatrics actually approached me with the idea. They had really enjoyed dad to dad parenting like a bro pro, which by the way, I did not choose that title. I would never call myself a pro. I'm always, I'm always learning. Right. I was like, great. Let me, that's what I get to hear from my kids from now on. Oh, you're a pro dad. Right. But, uh, they, they enjoyed that. And we got a good response, uh, from parents who felt like, you know, maybe nobody had spoken to them in their language before. And they knew that I'd been very open about how I got to that place through separation and divorce. And so they actually said, we know this other writer, Jan Blackstone, who came up with the, with the bonus families movement. And uh, we think you guys would be a good pair to work on this. And so I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll talk to Jan. Let's do this. And I learned so much. I, I wish that I could put this book in a time machine and just deliver it to my doorstep about 11 or 12 years ago and be like, hey, dude, read this. You're going to need it. Right. Uh, it would have been so nice to have it. Uh, and it has changed still some of the ways that we manage the household and manage how the family runs. Uh, one thing that we struggle with is in remarriage when, when you try to, you know, Jan hates blended families because you don't, you don't really blend, you create kind of a new thing, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that term is not her favorite, but when you try and create a new family, with a new significant other, uh, you're, the question of discipline comes up so often. How are we going to run this house? How are we going to make everything run? And this was a big issue for us. We ran into some real tough times because my wife's method of, of talking to the kids and enforcing discipline is significantly different than mine or their mom's. And, uh, we really kind of in the book, we talk about the parents make the rules and the and the new parents, you know, the the bonus parents enforce the rules. So that is me and my co-parent, my ex-wife get together and say, hey, you know, if somebody's caught with their cell phone when they're not supposed to have it. What happens? And then it's up to my to my wife, the bonus mom, to enforce that rule, but not necessarily to make new ones without talking to us first. And, you know, those are the sorts of tools that seem really basic, but I didn't have them at my disposal when I started on this. Mm -hmm. I was making it up. And so, you know, I love in this process having an opportunity to go back and do a better job of what we're doing because co-parenting does not end. You know, our youngest is 15 and then 18 and 20. And, uh, you know, it's going to keep going. At the end of the day, what do you what do you hope people take away from from reading this book? You know, I hope that people who've read this book do a better job of putting aside all of the appropriate and natural anger and guilt and frustration and sadness that they feel and sort of put their eyes on the prize of making sure that their children have the best possible life. And in almost every case, that means figuring out a way to work with a co-parent. Uh, and uh, it's not easy. I don't want anybody to hear me say, ah, piece of cake. It's not a piece of cake. It's really hard, almost impossible sometimes, but that's why it's worth the effort.
because your kids deserve that from you. They deserve that from your co-parent. And uh, I hope that as a result, you know, kids are going to have better outcomes. Do you do you have any sort of like parting advice uh, for parents out there to just sort of, you know, help them get their kids through this type of transition? You know, getting the kids through is a matter of getting yourself through. And getting yourself through starts with having a vision for where it is you want to be. So I would encourage you to, to put this vision in your head and use it as your guiding light, as your pole star. Think about your child, grown up, having a child of their own. Where are you? Where is the co-parent? Can you and that co-parent both be there? Do you want to be involved? That co-parent is going to be the other grandparent of that child. Mm -hmm. And so you got to have that vision in your head moving forward. Not what happened yesterday or last week or last year. Not what happened today. Not what you're worried about tomorrow. But think into the future when both of you are the grandparents of a new human and what you want your relationship to be at that point. And if you can look that far ahead, it's amazing what you can deal with now. Sort of perspective. Yeah. Huh. I really, I really like that. You know, I, this has been a journey for me as well. Oh yeah. And I really appreciate the insight that you have. And I'm, I, I have not had a chance to read the book yet, but that's going to be on my short list of things to do uh, because I need all the help that I can get. Oh yeah. And don't we all, and, and, you know, truthfully, like I always tell people, like when they read my blog or something, it's like, learn from my mistakes. Sure. And, and it seems like, uh, this will help to sort of light the path. I certainly hope so. So I, I really appreciate it. I, I will, um, I'll have a link to the book in the show notes. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. And, if, and, and again, I, I really, really appreciate your time. This has been I've been wanting to do this for a really long time and I'm, I'm really glad that I was able to, uh, to speak with you about this. Uh, so thank you. Well, thank you so much, Rob, for having me and, and good luck, uh, with you and best wishes to your kids. Uh, you said it's a journey and you're right. It's a journey that doesn't stop until you do. So enjoy. Yeah. I hope I have some time there. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I just want to thank you and, uh, my best to you and your family. Uh, take care, stay safe, and I will talk to you later. Before I close things out today, I just wanted to take a quick minute and say thank you to David for coming on the show and you know sharing his personal experience uh, in regards to co-parenting through separation and divorce, his professional insights, and, uh, and, and helping us to better understand how our actions can impact our kids, you know, divorce is something that is emotionally complex in a lot of cases. And, uh, sometimes those emotions can drive our decisions and they can impact our kids. And, uh, I hope that after hearing this conversation today, that it, that it kind of gives you pause. And, uh, if you need to reevaluate what you're doing, this can sort of help you, uh, to do that. So, uh, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, I will have all of 
his information in the show notes below. You can check out the book. There'll be a link for that. I do encourage you guys to, uh, to check that out. Uh, it's an excellent, excellent resource. I'm going to be uh, working on that myself. And, uh, as always, you can find me at the autismdad.com. All my social links are at the top of the page. Don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast on any one of your favorite podcasting apps. Uh, just smash that subscribe button. I really appreciate it. Also, if you could take a second, if you haven't done so already and just rate the show, uh, that feedback is, is very helpful. Um, going forward. So thank you uh, for taking the time to do that. And, uh, before we just close everything out for the day, I just, just want to remind you guys to please be safe. Uh, wash your hands, social distance, wear a mask, avoid crowded places, stay home whenever possible. Uh, listen to the public health care officials who are trying desperately to keep us all safe and get us through this. Uh, I know it's not easy as I'm recording, uh, this part of the podcast, we're on day 135. Uh, that's, me alone in my house with my three autistic kids, no adult contact. So trust me, I understand how challenging this can be, uh, but it's worth it. So please stay safe. Um, yep. So ha have a great weekend and uh, I will talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye.
Autistic kids can sometimes struggle to learn new skills such as riding a bike, reading, or simply having a conversation to a high level of proficiency and automaticity. Brainiac is a brain enhancement program that gets to the root of the problem. It builds stronger brain and body connections that elevate learning capacity within four to six months. Brainiac cross-trains motor movement, visual, auditory, and cognitive thinking connections using fun, interactive video games. Strengthened connections allow kids to learn new skills and perform them automatically with more confidence and greater independence. Brainiac is for homes and schools. Visit canoe.com, that's K-I-N-U-U dot com, and be sure to use the code theautismdata at checkout to save $500. It's a limited time offer and it will expire on May 31st.